Hear how prophetic that song is? This was back, you know, uh, many years ago when this song was first written and came out. And I was listening to it this week and I thought, man, we're there. We're there. We're right in the midst of the fulfillment of that prophetic song. And, uh, and, and I believe the will of God is for that we live in that realm of the wonders of God's glory being visited upon his people. God is doing things in the world. We just heard about what's happening in Colombia with God using an eight-year-old girl. And we know that that's not just a, uh, 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 an exception to the rule. We know that God is doing these things all over the world. We're hearing about it. We're seeing it with our own eyes. We're witnessing you know, the, a, a, an upsurge in the wonders of God being displayed among his people on, on behalf of those that are broken and hurting and in need, God is, is, uh, God is moving. And I, I say amen to that. And we have a role in this. If you were listening to the song, you heard over and over the reference to uh, Acts chapter 2 where Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, when the Holy Spirit has come, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Amen. Prophesying is simply speaking forth God's word. Amen. It's not forth telling the future. Uh, that's, that's a different thing. Uh, prophesying is, not, is, uh, uh, is, is no more than speaking under the inspiration and utterance and unction of the Holy Spirit. God comes to you and God gives you a word and you speak that word out. And in the declaration of God's word, God's will is performed in the earth. Amen. God, the Bible says God does nothing in the earth without first telling his prophets. Why does he tell his prophets? Because the prophets repeat it. The prophets are his oracles or his, his heralders. They're the ones who go about heralding the word of the Lord or telling what God told. God told them and now they're telling what God told them. And it releases that word into this realm and into this world so that God can bring it to pass. Amen. And God's word says that he doesn't do anything in this world without going through that process. Are you listening to me? You say, well, I believe in the sovereign God. Yeah, and this is the sovereign God's method. This is his way. So you fight against this way, you're fighting against God. That's not smart. Don't do that. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Turn with me to Ezekiel 37. I want to show you an example of this, uh, of this uh, gift in operation, this gift of prophecy. And uh, we're going to be talking about Ezekiel and his prophecy in the Valley of Dry Bones. Now, there's a lot of prophetic uh, teaching on this chapter concerning the end times and such things. And uh, that's not my point this morning, okay? I'm not getting into the end times eschatology and all of that. I'm just talking about the operation of the gift of prophecy through God's people. Amen. You being one. Amen. 
So when I talk about Ezekiel, I want you to picture yourself in his sandals. Amen? Dirty feet and hairy knuckles, everything. I want you to picture yourself in the place of Ezekiel. As a New Testament, New Testament son or daughter of God who prophesies. That's who you are. You are a New Testament son and daughter of God who prophesies. You're called to do that. He didn't say your sons and your daughters will prophesy if they want to. No, he said your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1, starts off saying, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. I want you to notice a couple of things here. The hand of the Lord came upon Ezekiel and brought him out in the spirit of the Lord. See, the hand of the Lord will bring you out into the spirit of the Lord and set you down in a midst of desolation. God doesn't always pick you up and set you down in uh, a a bed of roses or a garden or a place where there's a waterfall and butterflies flying about. Many times God will pick you up and transport you by his spirit and set you down into a midst of death and desolation. And he set him in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. Verse 2, then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold there were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. They had been there a while. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. (laughs) How's that for dodging the question? Son of man, can these bones live? And he said, O Lord God, you know, or only you know. And he said to me, prophesy to these bones. And say to them, see, a prophecy is something that is spoken. It's something that is said, uttered, out loud. And he's asking his servant, Ezekiel, to speak words to dead, dry bones. He's asking him to prophesy into this desolation. He's asking him to prophesy into this death. And he says, here's what I want you to say to them. Old dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. It's not my word, it's God's word. Dry bones, I'm not speaking to you on behalf of Ezekiel. I'm speaking to you on behalf of the Lord God of heaven. All right? He, he, and God told him what to say. Yes. He said, uh, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God to these bones. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. Amen. 
I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then shall you know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. And he also said to me, prophesy to the breath. Now that word breath is the same word that we have uh, for spirit or the spirit of God. He said, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. What? He said, I want you to prophesy to the breath. Amen. I want you to prophesy to the Spirit of God. And say to the breath, or the Spirit of God, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We're cut off from our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you and you shall live and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Now, when the, when the prophecy is fulfilled, guess who claims the credit for it? God. He's using Ezekiel to speak it, but then he says, when it's come to pass, you'll know that I spoke it and performed it, says the Lord. You see, we as the prophesier, we're not responsible for the fulfillment of the prophecy. And I get sick and tired of these people criticizing modern day prophets because they prophesy something and it doesn't come to pass in three days. Listen, it's not Robin Bullock or uh, uh, Hank Kuhneman or anybody else's responsibility to bring that prophecy to pass. They are there just to speak for God. And if you criticize them, you're touching God's anointed, and it ain't good for you. Now, what is this prophecy all about, the dry bones and everything? Well, 15 years prior to this, the northern kingdom, remember uh, Israel had busted up. Ten, ten tribes went with the north, and two tribes went in the south. And... Uh, Judah was the lead tribe in the south, and, and then, uh, you know, the northern kingdom got into idolatry pretty quick, almost instantly, and, uh, and, uh, and, and about 15 years before this prophecy, the Babylonians had come in and taken the northern kingdom 
over and had taken all, uh, almost all of the people into captivity and they had been dispersed throughout the world and they became known as the lost tribes of Israel. And a lot of people have claimed to be, you know, one of those lost tribes of Israel. And I'm thinking, big hairy deal. Who wants to be a lost tribe? You know, I'm one sixteenth Choctaw Native American, and they claim to be one of those lost tribes of Israel. Well, hey, I, you didn't know your pastor was a Jew, <clears throat> but I'm full blood Jew. In the spirit, I am, I am a believer, and I am the seed of Abraham. And according to the Galatians, the seed of Abraham, is, is, uh, it, that's his spiritual seed. And if you're a spiritual seed, you are, you are spiritual Israel. You're a Jew. So I claim Jewness on that end of things. And the Choctaw thing, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. Amen. A lot, of, a lot of people, you know, the Mormons, they believe they're, they're one of the lost tribes of Israel. and There's just a lot of speculation, and no one can really trace their roots to those tribes. Because, I mean, when it was lost, it was lost. The records were lost. The people scattered and, and blended into wherever they were taken. And they, they, the, northern, the northern kingdom of Israel was absolutely, totally desolate. They were these, these bones that were very dry. Because they had been disappeared for 15 years. But not only that, the southern kingdom, led by Judah had also fallen into idolatry and the Babylonians had come about a year and a half before Ezekiel's prophecy and had taken Judah and Jerusalem and they had torn down the temple and they had burned the city, tore down the walls and they had taken uh, many of these uh, 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 of the younger Jewish men and women captive into Babylon. That's when Daniel was taken, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But Ezekiel was also one of those. And so Ezekiel was called to be a prophet of God after he was already in Babylonian captivity. And they were sitting there. Remember the psalm that says they'd taken their harps and hung them on the willow tree? They took their harps, their song, and hung it up on the weeping willow tree. And they had lost their song. It's because of the complete desolation of their temple because their identity was wrapped up in, in the land of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem, and in the temple. And everything that they celebrated their identity with had been taken from them. And now they were slaves in a foreign land serving a godless uh, uh, people. And they believed that the God, many of them believed that the God of the Babylonians had destroyed their God. So not only were they homeless, they were godless with the exception of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Ezekiel. You know, there were a few. There's always a few remnant. But when God told Ezekiel to prophesy to the Valley of Dry Bones, that's what he was referring to. He was referring to a nation that was desolate, homeless, and godless, and hopeless. 
And he says, I want you to speak to these the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord will raise them up. Amen. And speak to the breath of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, the breath of the Lord, and the breath of the Lord will cause them to live. Amen. Amen. So even when it looks absolutely hopeless, absolutely no way there can ever be any restoration, there's always a God. And a word of prophecy can turn everything around. You heard me say it over and over. I'm not the only one who said it. I didn't invent the phrase. But one word from God can change everything. And God's called you. Here's the, here's the thrilling thing about it. God has called each of us in our generation to be the bearer of those resurrection words. We are to be the ones who speak the word of the Lord. Amen? Look in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. You heard it in the song. I've quoted it already, but we're going we're gonna to read it straight from the Bible. Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. This is on the day of Pentecost. Peter gets up, you know, and he says, <laughs> well, I'll read you what he said. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem. Where are they? Wait a minute. When we left them with Ezekiel, they were in Babylon. Now we see them back in Jerusalem. How did that happen? Anybody here not know how that happened? God called a man Daniel. Daniel went up before the king of Babylon, and he told him about the prophecy, saying, Cyrus, you know, you were prophesying. You know, it, you, your name is written in the book of our prophets. Uh, Seventy years ago, you know, they said that uh, you know, God's servant Cyrus is going to come, and he's going he's to restore Israel to their land. And Cyrus looks at it and says, man, you're right. And God touched his heart and he gave the decree and he sent Nehemiah and a whole troop of people, you know, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And lo and behold, you know, they moved back into town. Why? Because it had been prophesied. Who prophesied it? God through Ezekiel. And when God speaks through you, God will back up his word and it will come to pass. By the way, it, it probably didn't come to pass in Ezekiel's life. Daniel was an old man. Daniel didn't even get to go back. He was too old, too feeble to make the trip. But he saw it. He saw it in the twinkle in the eyes of Cyrus. And he heard it in Cyrus's word and decree, and Daniel knew that the prophecy was being fulfilled. Amen. Amen. All God needs is a Daniel. And Ezekiel, he needs somebody to speak his words. Amen? So he says, in, he said, Peter, you men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that 
which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, Joel was another prophet who lived during those days of captivity. And Joel prophesied the day of Pentecost. It didn't happen in his lifetime. If he'd been a modern-day, you know, evangelical know-it-all, they would have said he was a false prophet. By the way, Jesus said that the, the Israelites stoned all their prophets, killed all their prophets. You know why? Because they didn't believe the word that they were saying, and they rejected the word, and it was the word of God. My people perish for lack of knowledge because they have chosen to reject knowledge. Not because knowledge didn't come to them, not because they didn't hear the word of the Lord, but they didn't believe the word of the Lord, and they killed the, they killed the messengers. And they killed them all, all the way down through John the Baptist and Jesus himself. The religious crowd hates prophets. And so if you expect to get the approval and acclaim of the religious crowd when you start speaking and prophesying, forget about it. It ain't going to happen. The religious people don't want you speaking God's word. Because one word from God will, will force them to have to change. They don't want to change. They're content in their religiosity. They're content in the kingdoms they've built for themselves. They're content in the, in, in, in the affluence and acceptability that they have acquired finally after all these years. And they don't want anything to rock the boat. And a word from God will rock the boat. Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. That one word, they get in the boat, and guess what happens? It began to rock. Because the devil that controlled the, uh, the, the, the ten cities of Decapolis and the demons that inhabited the, the Gadarene demoniac knew that Jesus was coming to set him free and to set them, that whole region free, and they didn't want to give up their territory. And so they sent a storm to sink the boat. But Jesus had already said, let us go to the other side. He'd already given his word. He's the prophet of God. He said, we're going to the other side. So he went and laid down and went to sleep. In the midst of a storm, he's over there going. They think they're going to die. These expert fishermen who've been out on the sea before, they knew this was a bad, bad storm. They knew this was supernatural. They knew that they were in trouble. And they began to fear. They thought they were going to drown. And so they go and they wake Jesus up. And the first thing they say to Jesus is, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? Jesus looked at them said, where's your faith? He got up and he told the storm, shut up. And it immediately went away. Oh, and guess what? And they were immediately at the other side. <laughs> A lot of people forget about how that ship was translated from the middle of the, middle of the lake to the, to the shore. What happened? Exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. You see, if Jesus says it's going to happen and he gets in the boat with you, you're safe. You might have to bail some water once in a while, but you're safe. Amen.
Praise God. It's a good preaching, even if I do say so myself. Amen. He says, he says, it shall come to pass, this is Acts chapter 2, verse 16, and verse 17, and it shall come to pass, says God. What did God say? He said, this is going to come to pass. He said it through Joel. But he's, he's saying it again through Peter. He's bringing it out of, out of the Old Testament, dusting it off, polishing it up, and re-saying it through his servant Peter. And he says, he says, this is what God says, in the last days I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Now here's what's happening. Number one, we're living in the last days. They began here in Acts chapter 2. But 2,000 years later, we're in the last of the last days. Amen? People say, well, you know, 2,000 years has gone by. You know what that means? We're 2,000 years closer to the end. I think we're getting pert near there. And we're seeing a lot of signs coming to pass. We're seeing a lot of the wonders that were spoken of. We're, we're, seeing, we're seeing a lot of these prophecies fulfilled that are here in this, in this chapter. But he says, he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. A-L-L. -L. Do I have to tell you what all means? It's not that black stuff you get out of a Texas all well. All means all. All means everybody. You know what's happening right now in the world today? The Spirit of God, the wind of the Spirit is blowing and it is touching everybody. Everybody. Even Joe Biden. Even George Soros, if he's still alive. There's a rumor that he died. But there are, there are no exceptions to all. Everybody you see has had a dose of the Spirit of God poured on them. Now, I'm not saying they're saved. I'm not saying they've repented and got right with God. But I'm saying they're, they're, they're affected. They are affected or infected. They've been touched. You understand what I'm saying? Everybody you see is a candidate to be born again. This scripture covers all flesh. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. They've all been bought by the blood of Jesus. They've all been forgiven by the grace of God. And they've all been touched by the Holy Spirit. All they got to do is accept it. And you're there to tell them. Amen. Say, boy, if the Lord would just give me a prophetic word, I would go. Man, I'd go and I'd deliver it just like Ezekiel did. Well, he did give you a prophetic word. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. To who? Every creature. 
All nations, every tribe, every ethnic group, go ye into all the world and preach, which means prophesy. Yes. Tell them the news. Baptizing them that believe in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And those that don't believe are damned. But it's not going to be your fault. And it's not going to be God's fault. And it won't be because they weren't told. Amen. Your young men and your, your sons and your daughters... Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That means faith, Highness, and Joshua Jr. shall prophesy. Not, not, if they, not if they want to or if they, you know, God should call them with some special calling. No, it's just the fact that they're a son and daughter of yours and you're a son and daughter of God, the fact that you, that, you, that you are raising them up in the knowledge of the Lord and in the fullness of the Spirit, they're going to prophesy. Amen. I was in Nepal, Kathmandu, and we were in this retreat. We had rented a retreat center from the Roman Catholic Church. And... It was a holy place. It was so holy that when I walked into the chapel, they yelled and screamed at me because I forgot to take my shoes off. And they said, go outside and take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Oh, okay. So, you know, I apologized. I went out and kicked my shoes off. Went back in. Then they brought me some little slippers. And I thought, man... The soles on my shoes were thinner than the soles on these slippers. What makes these slippers holy and my shoes are not? But I didn't argue with them. I slipped those slippers on, and the first time I went across the room, I lost one of them. I'm not a slipper kind of guy. I got to have something tying that thing on my foot. And, uh, but I, I'm telling you, we were in this, we were in this beautiful, it, it was beautiful, it was old. It was old and, you know, it needed a lot of upkeep and stuff, but it was beautiful. Uh, this little round room, you know, um, not, much, not much different in size than this room right here. And we had, we had about 50 people in that room, pastors and their wives, and heaven came down and glory filled that place. And people got blessed and people, people prophesied. And uh, I'm watching my interpreter, he's, uh, he's leading worship, Siraj, you know, he's got that guitar, man. He's just leading worship. And uh, during one of our prayer times, he's up there just singing, playing that guitar, just very faithfully for hours, you know. And I watched his little three-year-old daughter go over to him, hold her hands up, and he picked her up. He still got his guitar around his, you know, his shoulder. And, and he picks her up in his arm, and she lays hands on him. And she begins to pray over her daddy in tongues. Did I say she's three years old? She's almost three years old. She's very young, three years old. Her name is Ahava. Ahava. And she, and I've got a picture. I've got a picture of this little girl laying hands on her daddy. 
while he's playing the guitar and she's praying in tongues for her daddy because she knew her daddy was getting tired. Amen. Is that it? There it is. Your sons and your daughters. Didn't even have an age qualifier on it. Amen. Eight-year-old faith. Not even eight yet. Eight this week. No, no age qualifiers here. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days, days of wonder, those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. How many of you qualify as a son or a daughter? God says you shall prophesy. Now, I want to tell you what that does not mean. It does not mean you're going to have to come up here and push me aside from this pulpit and stand here and say, Yea, thus saith the Lord. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about every day of your life, the words that come out of your mouth need to be his words that he's given you in your times of prayer and your times of seeking him and your times of praying in tongues, your times of reading the Bible, you get a word from the Lord and you stand up and you, and you the next face you see, you tell them what God said. Amen. If I were to just stop my message right now and go one to one with everyone in this room and ask you what has God told you today? Would you have anything to say? Well, today is not even half over. Uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you that. What did God tell you yesterday? Oh, I don't remember. Well, if God told you something yesterday, you'd remember it. You think Ezekiel forgot what God told him? Pastor, you're getting to meddling now. You were preaching really good. Now you're just going to meddling. But that's where the body of Christ is today. Most people in the body of Christ today don't even believe God speaks to them. Most people in the body of Christ today think that God has never spoken to them. The pastor I grew up under was a great man, a godly man, and he had a great influence on my life. And he had a good friend who pastored in a neighboring town. And every now and then they would swap pulpits and, uh, you know, preach for each other. And, and uh, uh, his friend would come hold revivals and he'd go hold his friend to a revival. And they were real close. And then his friend moved off to Dallas, Texas. And eventually my pastor moved off to Dallas, Texas as well. And they both pastored churches in the Dallas Metroplex. One of them was in Grand Prairie and the other one was in Irvine. And, uh, and so they pastored in the same town until, until both of them died. I mean, they're, they're both in heaven now. But great men, both of them, and the other guy, his friend, was, was a guy that I really loved and admired. A lot of people loved and admired him. And when he passed away, I thought, you know, 
it's been a long time since I heard Brother so-and-so preach. I think I'll go online. Surely they've got one of his, some of his sermons online. So I went online. Sure enough, they had this whole list of sermons. And, and, and so he had a sermon where he's talking about God speaking to people. I thought, oh, I want to hear that. And so I clicked on that, and I started listening, and it was a video, and he's in his church. He pastored this huge church, one of the largest churches in the Dallas Metroplex, and a great church. I know people that go there to this day. I'm not going to mention his name because I still respect him, but boy, he said something that really bothered me. He said, I've been in the ministry, you know, like something 50 some odd years. I've been pastoring this church here for 30 some odd years. You know, I'm just, you know, and, and he said, in all of my time, I've never had God ever speak to me. And then he began to laugh and scorn and ridicule people who would dare to say that God had said something to them. And then he went to that old and this guy, this guy, this guy was Pentecostal, but he went to the old Baptist doctrine that, you know, when the scriptures were finished, when the canon of scripture was finally finalized and 300 years after Jesus died, they finally got, got it all put together, excluding a lot of good stuff and putting in some stuff that's questionable. But, you know, they did, they did get a canon together. He didn't say all that. I said it. He said, but once the scripture has been completed, God, God speaks to us now through his word. He doesn't speak to us anymore personally. And I'm thinking, as my wife would say, gag me with a Barbie doll leg. So there's a church full of people and a larger number of people that he has influenced who have been told by their respected pastor that God no longer speaks to his people except through the written word. Well, I've heard of gag orders, but I, I never thought, I never thought the the ministers of the gospel would ever put out a gag order on God. How many of you know that's ludicrous? You can no longer stop God from speaking and you can stop the wind from blowing. God is still speaking to his people today. Now you are, you are responsible to take what you hear God saying to you and, and compare it to the written word of God. That helps to validify that it's from God. But to say that this is the last word that God ever spoke to his people. Oh, and I want to I correct some bad theology. You know that, three, that 400 years between Malachi and Matthew? I've said it, I've said it myself, I've heard other people say it, that for 400 years God was silent. Once again, gag me with a Barbie doll leg. Nothing was written that was included in the canon of Scripture, the Protestant canon of Scripture, but if you look in the Catholic canon of Scripture, there's several writings of the Maccabees. You see, us Protestants, we don't have the whole Bible. Mm -hmm. 
Don't throw rocks. There's a lot of things that we don't have and we don't know because we are anti-Catholic and we are anti-Semitic. I say we, a lot, of, a lot of us evangelicals and Protestants, anything that has a, a, a Catholic taint to it, we upchuck it like it's bad, bad food. And yet they're the ones who have all the libraries that have all the original scriptures in them. They're the ones that have control over the Dead Sea Scrolls. They're the ones that have all of the archaeological uh, artifacts that, that, that validate a lot of scripture. They held all those things in their, in their, in their vaults. They're the ones that have all this. Not, they're the ones that have the Shroud of Turin. And they control, uh, they control all of that. And, and we're saying, well, because the Catholics have it, it must not be true. And we're bigots when it comes to anything Catholic or Jewish. Just mention the word Torah among a bunch of Pentecostals, and they will throw up. And yet all the Torah is, is you know, is, is the first five books of the Bible. Come on, people. We, we gag over uh, semantics, and we have taken the King James Version of the Bible, and we've exalted it above the very Word of God Himself. That's idolatry. The King James Version of the Bible was written in the 1600s. That's 1,600 and some odd years after Jesus was born. And we act like there was no Bible. There was no Word of God. Yeah, just like between Malachi and Matthew. God was silent for 1,600 and some odd years. And finally, King James comes along. He didn't even have the first English Bible. Tyndale is the one who had the first English Bible, and they burned him at the stake for it. <laughs> I'm telling you, folks, because we are historically illiterate and religiously illiterate, we also are biblically illiterate. This isn't all there was. It's, it's even written in here that if all of the words that Jesus spoke and all of the deeds that Jesus did were put in books, then all the libraries and all the world wouldn't be able to hold the books. Amen. How many of you know there's more than this? But oh, we're so confined to... I didn't, I didn't intend to get off on this. But it, like Jimmy says, it must be the Holy Ghost. I'll, I'll blame him. One preacher said, well, it's amazing what you say under the anointing. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know? Mm. <laughs> Ruth is worried about me now. God is a God who has always spoken.
spoken everything. Amen. He is a God who speaks. That's what separates him from the dumb idols. D-U-M-B doesn't mean they don't have a brain. It means they don't speak. The first thing God did for his people when he filled them with the Holy Spirit is he loosened their tongues so they could speak. Not just speak in the language they, were, they learned from their mother, but speak in the language of men and angels. Remember Paul, Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. You know, a lot of times we say, oh yeah, there you go, love is more important. Yeah, love is more important, but don't forget the fact that Paul said he speaks with the language of angels. I've spoken in angelic and heavenly languages this morning. All right. I, I spoke in, in those languages before I came to the pulpit. It's called tongues. It's called unknown tongues. Not unknown to the angels, not unknown to God, but unknown to me and unknown to you. But when I received the full baptism in the Holy Spirit, he cut the ropes that had my tongue hostage. And now I can speak for God. I'm qualified because I have a loosened tongue. Not unruly, but devoted and committed and submitted to the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit says, say this, then I have the boldness and the anointing and authority to say it. And I don't have to worry about making it come to pass because that's God's job. That's right. Even if it doesn't come to pass in my lifetime, that doesn't make me a false prophet. You know what a false prophet is? A false prophet is somebody who tells you that's of the devil. A false prophet is someone who leads you away from God, not to God. A false prophet is someone who says there are no longer any miracles today. There's no longer any signs and wonders. Joel's prophecy has been fulfilled and we no longer need sons and daughters who prophesy. That's a false prophet. Yes. And they fill the pulpits today. A false prophet is someone who says oh, we believe in the Holy Spirit but we don't believe he speaks today and so Holy Spirit you're welcome here, sit in this honored chair, but keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. That's a false prophet. A false prophet is anyone who opposes God and the operation of God. That's antichrist, anti the anointing. You see, what makes us Christians is we have the anointing. We have the anointing of the Spirit on the inside of us. And we've had our tongues set free so that we can freely speak the words of God. Not just the ones written in the King James Bible, but the ones written in the Passion Translation. Or the ones that are written today. As long as they don't contradict the written word, they're not bad words. Amen. Amen. 
So what have you heard from God today? What did you hear yesterday? What have you ever heard? Oh, and I got news for you. 90% of the things God speaks to me are not about me. Took me a while to come to grips with that. Amen. I'm wanting to hear what God has to say about me, and He He wants to tell me what He He, he wants to tell me about you. <laughs> Doctor James Maloney, who who operated in the gift of prophecy he was not a prophet a lot of people called him that he was not even um, uh, a healer people called him a healer he said no I, ju I just have faith and he said I just tell people what God tells me to tell them but I'm not a I don't stand in the office of a prophet I'm an evangelist he said I pray for the sick because I I have pity on them I have compassion on them he said, I pray for the sick, not, not because God's given me healing gifts in my hands. He said, I pray for the sick just because I want them well. But do you know he had pastors that would have him come to their church? And after the time, you know, set aside for his services there, if he did not prophesy over those pastors, they would never have him come back. I had you here for a whole week and you never prophesied over me once. You're fired. But that's the way a lot of Christians are. They go to, they go to a, a, a service where there's somebody like Maloney or somebody like Sean Strong or somebody you know, that's, that, that's known to prophesy over people and they fight for the front seats and they sit there on the front seat and they get this pitiful look on their face like please give me a word from God and they don't expect that God if he did give them a word might be a word that they're supposed to go share with somebody else Oh, here I got a word for you, Sister Ruth. Go tell Sandy Bell that I heard her prayers and her answers on the way, and she can go to the bank Monday and the money will be there. Amen. Wait a minute. I wanted a word from me. What about my bank account? That's not how it works. If you are prophesying, it's for the glory of God. It's to the purpose of God, and it's for the, it's for the growth of the kingdom. It's not about you. Grow yourself up. 80-year-olds. I'm not preaching to you, Jay. I'm just... Grow yourself up. It's time you begin to realize it's not about you. It's about God and what God wants you to say. Amen. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Okay? What have you seen? I must be an old man. I had a dream last night. I don't know the interpretation of it yet. My wife hasn't given it to me. 
she's she's the dream interpreter but I dreamed I was wearing white sandals and uh, I sat down in this big room that was full of couches and coffee tables and I'm visiting with a friend I forget who it was some younger man and I kicked my sandals off and this little chihuahua type dog comes and grabs one of those sandals and runs off with it so me and my friend we're on our hands and knees looking under couches and chairs and tables and trying to find that sandal and while we're down there on the floor under our knees I notice these two lizards and they are sparring like you know like they're practicing taekwondo and I look over there and there's two squirrels doing the same thing and all of a sudden all over that room there's all kinds of tiny little creatures mice squirrels raccoons you know just and they're all practicing their martial arts on each other squirrels with squirrels mice with mice toads with toads you know but you know it's all very orderly very, and they were all spread out you know like they had you know they're they're, they're following the six-foot rule and they're, they're all spread out all over the place. And, and uh, yeah, social distancing. And they're, but they're practicing their, their martial arts. And it's like they're getting ready to do battle. All the li and, and I looked at my friend and they say, they know something. These creatures, they know something. <sighs> and I just heard from the Lord. All of creation is groaning and waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Woo. You, got, you got the interpretation of my dream the same time I did. I woke up, I told Ruth about it, I said, I don't know what that means. And she said, that's strange. And she started envisioning these two little mice, you know, knocking each other out. And, but it's true, all of creation is yearning and groaning and waiting for the manifestation of who? The sons of God. And what did the Bible say the sons of God are going to do? Prophesy. Days of wonder are upon us. These are the days. For God wants you to forget about all the religious junk. Like God isn't speaking. He's talking to you right now. Yeah, I know he may be using the donkey to do it, but he is talking to you. I'll be that donkey. God is speaking. My kids tell me that when God speaks to them, he speaks to them in my voice. But they know it's God. And there are a lot of times you're going to hear you're going to hear my voice, but it's going to be God speaking to you. There you go. That's good. You got to learn how to recognize the voice of God. Yeah. Amen. God is speaking. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, "God is talking to you," and it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility not only to listen but to do what he says. Do what he says. 
And if he says, if he says, I want you to stand up in the midst of death and desolation, and I want you to prophesy over that death and desolation, that you will live. And then prophesy to the voice of the Holy Spirit, to the breath of God, and say, breath of God, enter into these dead people, this death, this desolation, and, the, and, and they will rise up. God will raise them up, and they will live. Some of you got a lot of death and desolation in your family. You've got a lot of death and desolation in your, in your personal life, your businesses. You just fight every day to stay above water. But I want you to know you've got the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of all creation in your boat. Wake him up. Wake up your own faith. Wake up your own faith. When Jesus said, where is thy faith? You know what he was saying? He's saying, you could have let me sleep and you could have taken care of this situation. Listen to what he said in Mark chapter 11, verse 20. In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily, this is in red letters if you have a red letter edition. Jesus says, For verily, verily means truth of a truth, for verily I say unto you. Now what's Jesus doing? He's prophesying. He's, he's saying, I speak a truth to you. In other words, this is true for you. This is true for me. Amen. That whosoever shall say, under this mountain. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have some of those things that he said. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Well, what is whatsoever? All. All. Therefore I say unto you, now, you need to go through here and circle every time the word say occurs. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you. Now he says here, he says, I say to you that if you say to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and don't doubt in your heart, but believe what you say shall come to pass, you will have whatever you say. Amen? Amen. Therefore I say, this is the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the living Word of God. I say to you, what things soever you desire. How many of you desire what God wants to come to pass in your life? How many of you desire salvation for your household? You've got some desires. And, and by the way, there's no qualifier around these. What things of God's will that you desire 
It's not in there. It just says what things soever you desire. Now he, he's saying this to his disciples. He trusts his disciples. Do you trust yourself enough to believe that God would give you what you desire? If you don't, then you need to repent and become trustworthy. Because if you can't trust you, nobody can trust you. Well, I don't know if God can trust me with that much money. Thief. You're a thief. If you can't trust yourself with that much money, I ain't going to trust you. I'm sure not going to get an agreement with you as you get it. You see how ridiculous we are? Well, if God wanted me to be rich, He would have made me rich a long time ago. Oh, really? He said, Oh, I don't need to go there. He made you His heir, His joint heir. What's mine is yours. Mikasa is sukasa. My money is your money. God's already said that. He's already said, and then he said, whatever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them. You know what that tells me about the prayer? The prayer needs to be a prophetic prayer. Because if, if you believe that you receive them, then your prayer is going to reflect that. There's a place where you can prophesy. Prophesy in your prayers. Yeah, prophesy. There's a word for it. Prophesy. Prophesy in your prayers. If you believe you receive it because he said it, then your prayer is going to have a prophetic flow to it. It's not going to be a beggar's prayer. It's not going to be a pleading prayer. It's not going to be a pathetic prayer playing on God's sympathies. No, it's going to be a faith prayer. And a faith prayer has a prophetic flow to it. Lord, I just want to thank you that you've heard me and that I received the very thing that I have asked for and agreed with with my prayer partners. We agreed and we touched on this thing and we agree and we just, I just want to thank you, Father, that, 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 that uh, what we prayed about is coming to pass in my life. It's coming to pass in my family. It's coming to pass. And I just prophesy now my kids are saved. My kids are full of the Holy Ghost. My grandkids are saved and full of the Holy Ghost. My queer relatives have been delivered from homosexuality and they're now preaching the gospel on the street corners, handing out tracts. I just want to praise you, Father. I just praise you and I prophesy I prophesy that every sick person in my family is now healed and testifying to God's goodness Lord I just want to that, now that's prayer that's prayer God, God wants us to stop these pitiful prayers and start praying faith prayers prophetic prayers can you say amen